This is Researching Transit, the public transport research podcast. Today's host is Professor Graham Curry from the Monash Public Transport Research Group. Hello and welcome to Researching Transit. My name is Graham Curry and we're here in Tel Aviv at the conference on uh, advanced public transport systems with Professor Marcus Enoch, who's Professor in Transport Strategy uh, at the Transport and Urban Planning Group in the School of Architecture, Building and Civil Engineering, Loughborough University in the UK. So welcome to the podcast, Marcus. Thanks, Graham. Nice to be here. So, um, Marcus, transport strategy is your game, and that's certainly all the work that I've seen you publishing. Uh, what do you do in your role at Loughborough? So, like uh, many academics uh, in the UK, I have essentially three jobs. Uh, one is about research, uh, which I'll probably be talking a bit more about later. Um, second, I do teaching. So, for many years, I've well, for nearly 20 years, I've taught... Um, on our transport programmes at Loughborough, so undergrad and postgrad in sort of transport and planning and transport and management and air transport. Um, and my modules have been around transport systems, transport planning, transport policy and transport operations, uh, typically. And then more recently, our university is dropping the transport teaching and we're replacing it with urban planning. So now my modules are going to be around um, sort of contemporary planning and planning policy and people and that kind of thing. Interesting that you're going to be doing that because of, there's such a lot of crossover from transport yeah. and urban planning, of course, which is often not done. Anyway, that's very interesting context. Um, now, how did you get to this position? What is it uh, that got you to this role? Okay, so um, I first got stuck in traffic when uh, I was a undergrad student at uh, Nottingham University. This was back in the early 90s. And um, and I'd started civil engineering and I wasn't really that into it. I think I'd got into it because I'd heard you needed quite low grades to get on an engineering course. <laughs> the truth is coming out. Yeah, the truth is coming out. And I, I, and I wasn't doing particularly well in my A-level. So, uh, so I applied and I, I got in. And, um, and then I'd also basically heard that engineering was about solving problems. And the bit of engineering we were doing wasn't doing that, that much, so I was kind of a bit sad about it. But I'd made my bed and we just carried on, and, and I loved university life. And, um, and so this uh, summer job came up, and it was give, offered up by uh, Professor Margaret Bell. Oh, yeah, I know Margaret. Yeah. So she's now emeritus at Newcastle. Yeah. But, um, and she needed someone to, to help out uh, with a, one of her lecturers uh, was doing his PhD and he needed a, a body basically so so I applied um, I didn't get that one I got another job <laughs> <laughs> which was uh, in the same group and um, and I started helping this guy Peter Martin actually do his do his PhD and um, I started ed- um, helping him with data collection and data analysis and and uh, and presentation and I started to learn about how to use computers and I really enjoyed myself in that summer internship and um, it was paid as well and then um, 
And then after that, they let me work there at Christmas holidays, Easter holidays, the summer holidays. And so by the end of my sort of university degree, a couple of years later, uh, I ended up writing to all the transport groups in the country to try and get a PhD uh, in transport. And then some of them wrote back and, and basically said, oh, we, we can't give you a PhD, but we'll give you a, an MSc. Um, and then essentially um, one guy <laughs> lost my letter. And then three months later, he emails me and says, oh, if you want to work for me for three weeks in the summer, come see me. So that was Stephen Potter at the Open University. Oh, yes. Anyway, then I go to, to Leeds for a year to do a master's. When I finish my Leeds in transport, and then when I finish at Leeds, um, I get a call from Stephen Potter, who says, oh, you interviewed for a, a PhD that I hadn't got at the Open University. And um, actually, there's a PhD... Um, that we've got and we need someone to fill it and this was a Friday night and he said can you be here Monday morning because we need to allocate this PhD on <laughs> Monday. Emergency response PhD student. <laughs> exactly. So demand responsive and I like I like sort of travelled down the country to, to Milton Keynes. He picks me up in a taxi and we taxi over to the Open University and while we're in the cab um, we come up with a project. <laughs> and so that was that was about buses. Uh, buses and uh, and air pollution, and um, yeah, and so and then I did my PhD in about buses and air pollution, and I loved it. It was really good. I learned a lot. I mean, quite and, topical um, when you think about what we're doing yeah. these days with electric buses. Yeah, well, it was super topical then. Like November '94, this was, and it was yeah, and everyone was talking about air pollution. There was a Royal Commission on Environmental Pollution and lots of stuff going on, and and I got into that, and then. Um, so I spent three years doing that, and then at the end of that, I uh, I get offered a job by uh, Peter Stonham, who's a he was a kind of a <laughs> transport uh, newspaper magnate who <laughs> looked after uh, local transport today and uh, parking review and transit magazine. Oh right? yes, I'm, I'm still in that. I think. Exactly. So so I and I I worked for him for eighteen months. As a news and features writer. So you were a journalist. I was. So that was fantastic. That was my spell in the real world. And I did that for 18 months. And um, and the like deadlines I hated. But, but meeting really interesting people. I interviewed mm. uh, John Reid, who was Transport Minister at the time. Um, I sort of asked John Prescott, who was Deputy Prime Minister. I asked him a few questions at different conferences. Um, yeah, I met loads of good people. And... Um, and then after 18 months, my boss again at the Open University has a research project that he needs someone to work on it for him. So I go back to him and I end up spending four years back at Open University and I research as a postdoc. I research stuff around originally around um, financing mechanisms for public transport. Um, so where you have uh, dedicated taxes and charges at a local level, like the Versailles Transport in yeah, France. France. And... Um, yeah, beer taxes in Alabama, which had hypothecated. Yeah, cigarette Alabama, taxes in Oregon. Oregon. They, pay, they, pay, they pay for the cigs, yeah. the, the yeah. grog. That's right. And that pays for transit. Absolutely right, yeah. So you can feel better about it. That's an you. area, it's an area <laughs> I need to do more research in. Yeah, there's a fantastic book you can read. It's called Unfair Solutions. Unfortunately, the title was lost in translation. But um, So, yeah. So, so that was great. And then um, I also started to do work on um, 
on things like demand responsive transport systems, which I've done a lot on since, mm-hmm. and we might talk a bit more about that. And then um, I also did uh, started to get into uh, travel plans. Oh yeah, and how did you get up to Loughborough? Loughborough, you you ended up there, didn't you? Next. Yeah. So after after working four years there, then I I moved. Um, my grants all started to run out, and so then uh, I applied to for a lectureship at Loughborough in two thousand three, and I. I end up there, and um, just as I arrive at Loughborough, <laughs> we'd applied for three grants, and um, just before I left the Open University, and we won them all. <laughs> so in the end, I start my Loughborough career with grants that actually were trans- some of them were transferred over to me. So oh, Steve Potter nice. was really nice. So that was that was a good thing. So I, I work on that. You'd be a popular person at I Loughborough. Was. It was a good yeah. It was a it was a good time. So, and again, yeah, travel plan stuff and. Um, yeah, lots of really quite policy-heavy stuff. Yeah, um, which, I mean, given your background, you knew, knew a bit about all of that. Yeah. So tell us about the research you've been working on, particularly in public transport, because I know you do a few other things. But Yeah, so, the, I mean, yeah, essentially there's kind of three areas I was in. My area of interest really is the transport system generally and public transport within that, and, and passenger transport specifically, and, and mostly local passenger transport. And then, so I kind of did quite a bit of work on governance and how... Um, different ways of organising, you know, regulated, deregulated, and uh, those sorts of questions about how we actually, you know, run our public transport systems and how we pay for them and how we regulate them and so on. Um, so that was one area, and then I got into this area as well where we, I was in uh, Mauritius. My my wife's from Mauritius. We went to visit the in-laws in Mauritius, and um, I decided that Mauritius is like a massive transport laboratory. <laughs> and I do a big like a study. I, I interview lots of people and do loads of statistical stuff, and I come up with this paper. And that paper then leads on to me doing stuff. Uh, we did a, a few studies in uh, Cuba with um, with James place. Warren, which is an amazing place to study transport. Lots of interest, fascinating stuff going on there. And then eventually, I did s- studies in Japan and in Singapore. What's the focus of these Malta. studies? It's basically that? like a, this idea of, of, of a macro kind of look at how transport And islands are kind of useful, that yeah. because they've got inputs and outputs, yeah, and absolutely. They're, they're a sort of con- self-contained, whereas a nation yes. is a bit too big. Yes, so that's what I did that for. I, mean, I was just interested in how all sorts of factors, the macro I hear what you're saying, stuff. but you're, what you're really doing is you're going to really nice places, aren't you? Yeah, You've decided exactly. to go and see yeah. the best places in the world yeah. through research. I yeah. like it. So there's another one which we did, which was a different type of island, which was a cultural island. And again, I did this with James Warren, and um, he's from Pennsylvania. So, so we identified that the Amish population yeah. in Pennsylvania, they have a very different worldview as to how they use transport. So, so he went to Pennsylvania and he interviewed these these Amish. It's a great uh, idea, isn't it? It's a different Amish. cultural group altogether. Yeah, yeah, with really different attitudes to transport and... Um, and so we did a paper on that, which was brilliant, and um, that's published in the Journal of Amish, Plain Amish and Anabaptist Studies or something. Amish Plain and Anabaptist Studies, so transport in the what's, Amish. What's the impact factor of that? <laughs> it's not high, I suspect. So, Is this so, yeah. uh, Loughborough's university's finest? <laughs> <laughs> so that was good. <coughs> and then the last stuff I got into was this idea of interventions and the effect of individual policy measures and other things on there. Uh, on the transport system, so we we looked at things like um, you know if you introduce a, a permit system in Derby, for instance, around um, 
uh, when you want to set up uh, roadworks and streetworks, if you have a permit system, what's the effect on, on transport systems? And then we did another one on COVID-19 and how COVID-19 impacted on footfall levels in towns across the UK and stuff, mm, yeah. and this all time series modelling type stuff. So that was that was quite nice as well. And then in terms of public transport more recently, oh yeah, and then I guess the next thing was, so up until about 2014 or so, most of my research, all my research was basically looking back to try and understand stuff that had happened, and then all of a sudden we lost loads of money because... Um, government in the UK went into like recession yeah and all my money had come from government local government and the European Union and then suddenly all this money kind of just seemed to disappear and um, and so after that um, I had this kind of period where I was like just wandering about thinking about stuff and um, and then I started to get this idea that transport's maybe going to develop in a different way because at that time you started to hear about Uber Yes. autonomous vehicles, all these exciting stuff that was happening and um, and suddenly transport went from being like quite a geeky subject to being like highly trendy which was weird so so I, I did this paper which I hopped all around the world and I brought it to Monash which was this thing about convergence and this idea that um, the yes. transport system I just had in my head for a while that essentially um, it traditionally we had this transport system which is like made up of local transport system which was made up of taxi, car and bus and each of these modes had specific benefits really things they did well but things that were terrible about them but, so you couldn't do it and then I was seeing all these new modes emerging that were kind of between intermediate modes between um, bus and taxi so for instance shared taxis and um, DRT was starting to be talked about again and you started to think about you know lease cars, rental cars, Uber, all these sorts of what I would call intermediate modes and I was thinking that those modes would, would sort of suck out a lot of trips from the traditional three modes and then if you add in autonomous vehicles as well in the mix then you kind of get this convergence of all these modes into this single kind of universal dialopod taxi thing mm-hmm. And everybody would be just going around in these pods. So I, t- I sort of wrote a paper on that, and and then present and then showed it around a bit. And then um, and on the back of that, I um, I actually got uh, a job as a a sort of part time role, still being an academic at Loughborough, but a part time role at um, the New Zealand Ministry of Transport as a strategy director yeah. for uh, this project called. Public Transport 2045, which was all about public transport 30 years in the future, and mm. that was amazing. So I, so when I was there, I started interviewing. We interviewed 50 experts from around the world um, about what they thought the future of public transport would be, and then after that, we did all this scenario modelling and that kind of stuff, and came up with these four scenarios as to how we thought public transport might evolve. What were they? One was called. Well, there was there were sort of two axes they were based on. One was about how dense a society are we going to live in the future. So we had like a high density world and a lower density yeah, world. Yeah. And then we had a sort of like how how automated is the world going to be? So one of it was like where we had pretty much as we have now, so quite automated. And then the other one was was like extremely automated. And then in those four kind of quadrants, we had 
four, so if I remember. So we had um, one was called something like connected corridors. So that was the high density, high automation, where you have these um, super duper trains that basically interconnect with each other and everyone lives in high density areas. And then we had another one which was called was like a low density, highly automated things, which was called plentiful pods, which yeah. was basically this convergence model universal taxi system. And then we had another one called mobility marketplace. And then the final one can't remember. But but they were on the in these four quadrants. And and yeah, and that was that was quite good. And that project then led me to another couple of projects for the UK government, which was all about um foresight, uh, the future of mobility um, study. So I did two reports, uh, one on the future of taxis and one on the future of mobility as a service for them. Um, yeah, and that was quite nice. So that was kind of one thread. And then the other thread that happened was I was also invited to go to um, to KAIST, which is the Korean Advanced Institute of Science oh, and yeah, Technology. Yeah. So I was there just before I went to New Zealand. And um, that was brilliant because KAIST is... Um, really good at translating research into um, products and mm. um, commercialising research ideas. That's kind of what it does, innovation really. And I went there and I, I looked at what they did and, and how they did it. And um, yeah, there was a guy called Huaso Yo and he was my guy who ended up looking after me. And um, yeah, we never actually published anything but I did learn a lot from that. And, um, and because of that, then I kind of married the innovation thing and the future public transport thing and then we went started to go for for grants from Innovate UK and uh, and so on. So we did a, a project called Counter where we we started to look at uh, how to monitor uh, crowding on station platforms oh, yeah. looking at with Wi-Fi counters and I started to work with people who knew about things like machine learning and this kind of stuff so that's <laughs> quite exciting and about the operations and about how we could get this real-time data um, and then look back over to get understand um, relationships in the data and then we could predict forward so we could start to develop models, tools for station managers, for instance, to yeah. use that sort of stuff. So that was quite a nice project. And then we also started to work um, on other things, which is more like um, I started working with a, a chap in Mauritius again and he's into Internet of Things, and we started to to look at um, these projects uh, for Mauritian Research Council around um, around putting sensors onto buses. Um, and one was called Bus Controls, and we were looking. We sort of did a fairly crude um, automatic vehicle location type system, and then we expanded that to put seat sensors onto onto um, seats. And it was in the end, it was a minibus, but it was going to be proper sized buses. And we, we did a paper on that called Bus It, which was quite nice. B-U-S-S-I-T. Bus Sit. I like my acronyms, you see. So yeah, no, that's okay. It's quite nice. And then people then, understand what you're doing. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then that's led on to a, a kind of another Innovate UK um, knowledge transfer partnership with a bus company called Vectare. And there we're, we're equipping these buses with um, sensor packs. And the idea is we're going to monitor um, service uh, levels quality of service and things like that and then use those potentially for all kinds of exciting stuff sounds good and you haven't didn't mention your DRT work which you know I've used a lot in my work yeah so so that's some of the policy stuff from 
before, but uh, yeah, when I was at the Open University and when I moved to Loughborough University, we did the, yeah the two streams. One is one was about uh, travel plans, which I did a lot of projects for European Commission and UK Government Transport for London and various local authorities. And in the end, that turned into what a are book. travel plans? Just tell us about. Yeah, so a travel plan is like where, for instance, uh, Loughborough University has far more impact on how. I travel as a person to and from work than what the local authority or transport operators or local councils um, or um, yeah, other or, uh, agencies have. And I think they're really powerful. You know, employer influences whether I go to work or not. They influence what time I go. They decide you know, what the parking policy is. They decide if they're going to subsidise buses or trains, as mine, mine does. And they introduce uh, cycle parking and cycle networks and all this sort of stuff. And they, they essentially have a ma- major impact on how people travel. So if local authorities and government can influence uh, employers or you know, um, football clubs or theatres or whoever who generate the trips, then actually you can have a major influence on, on limiting, on managing travel. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of how I got into that. And, and, but um, you haven't said what a travel plan is. It's a package of, well, it's a... It's, often it's mandated by policy, isn't it? Isn't well, it? often it is, but it shouldn't be, is what I'm saying. It's mm. essentially, if you can get, and then there's various, it should be, yeah, what is a travel plan? It's, it's a package, what people say, it's a package of measures that are imposed by uh, an, a, an agent that's not normally involved in doing transport, mm. really. And um, the idea is that, Essentially, you get benefit for the company, the organisation that's introducing the measures, but also a wider societal benefit as yeah. well in terms of yeah. less car trips, etc. So, so and then I wrote a book on that, which is called Sustainable Transport, Mobility Management and Travel Plans, which is still the only book out there on travel plans, but it's got loads of good suggestions in there, and policymakers should take note because I think it was, uh, so I think that's a way. But then the question you actually asked was about DRT, and I did. Um, Quite a lot of work again for for government. I, I did a project called Intermode in around two thousand three four, which was I'm still quoting um, it today. I think yeah, which was basically a state of the art review at the time of of demand responsive transport schemes from around the world. That was for the government, the Department for Transport and Greater Manchester Passenger Transport Executive. And I think we reviewed over a hundred DRT schemes. I think. Um, and how well they worked and why they worked and we characterised the ones into which ones were successes and which ones failed and why they failed and you know the sort of characteristics of the successful schemes versus the characteristics of the failed schemes and um, and then the policy barriers and suggestions for how they could improve and, and change the policy mm. and the upshot of that actually was that we, we made recommendations where we said what you should do as government is simplify the regulations because at the time Oh, we have a we have a whole series of regulations based on modes. So if you were a taxi, you had certain regulations um, around um, around whether you paid VAT, mm. about um, whether you got uh, local authority subsidy, around whether it was local authority or whether it was um, traffic commissioners that looked after you. You know your regulations about driver regulations, about vehicle regulations, about operator licensing. All these different things are all, you know, basically depending on what mode your class does, decides which, which um, set of regulations and, and who regulates you. 
so it's it's a total nightmare so if you want to come up with a new type of transport system like a demand responsive transport system or actually like an e-scooter mm. then you're really stuffed because you don't fit and so you're forced to do everything that a bus does or you're forced to do everything a taxi does you can't get the benefits of both yes. so so we proposed a kind of a mode agnostic solution to regulate and then recognize that it's probably pretty much impossible to do <laughs> and then we said but if you can't do this maybe you can still try and simplify but maybe you add on a couple of things so we suggested things that they could get rid of and then but in the end government just adopted some of the extra things that we said they could do which ended up making the whole system more complicated rather than less so that so was that that's was, a big part of your impact on the world. So it? that was my impact on the world. And then I did another study shortly after that for Wiltshire County Council. And at the time they had a whole number of different types of, of DRT and it was really confusing. And we did a study, a review of what they did. And we suggested they simplify their branding as one of just one of several recommendations we made. And so in the end um, they had this really famous bus called Wiggly Bus. Yeah. Anyway, I killed that. My right. team killed There that. you go. Your impact on Because we basically said, you know, this is a wiggly bus and then there's a hopper and then there's someone else and, and basically there's just lots of different brands going on and it just didn't seem to make sense. So so they got rid of wiggly bus. So that was another one. And then after that we did a, I did a study with them, Tim Riley and Mohammed Kudus and we, we looked at um looking at how uh trying to come up with a dema- uh, sort of how to map the demand patterns of different types of DRT service with different areas of the country, so like yeah. a traffic light system. So I think we had like six types of DRT supply, and then we had we sort of looked at different um, demand side characteristics using census data and other things to try and work out where these different, like a traffic light system, of where these different types of DRT might fit best. Mm. And um, we got quite far with that, but um, it was never quite ready to be implemented, mm. if that makes sense. No, but it makes sense. Because yeah. they're, they're all very different types of yeah. things. Aren't they? And, uh, you know, the truth is the success, success rate isn't that high, so no. I could do with a bit of uh, you know, insight. Targeting, tell, yeah. tell us about the travel plans, because as you see, you've, you're the only one that's written a book about the whole thing. What's, uh, what's good practice? Well, one thing I said was the the problem was a lot of the the reputation around travel plans is that companies have to do them because they're mandated to do so. So if you're a if you're a big developer and you want to build a big development, often you have to basically go to the local authority and the local authority says um, we don't want you to build that there. We want you to build it somewhere else, or we want you to if you have to build a supermarket in that place, then we want you to to mitigate it. We want to improve the junction, and you have to have a travel plan. What tends to happen is is that these uh, developers then basically say, well, well, the travel plan's a deal breaker. We'll go to the next local authority instead, and um, and then the local authority often backs down and they mm. say, oh well, okay, mm. we'll let you off then. You don't have to do it because local authorities are often fairly poorly resourced, certainly in the UK, and um, and the developers are not. They're quite well resourced and mm. they're used to doing this. So, so essentially, what we're saying is, well, if you can basically come up with a with a, a way of, of allowing the developer to see the benefits to them, then maybe they'll adopt these travel plans on their own. And then other thoughts we had were that we could, essentially you'd get these new companies coming along um, that were data companies or they're um, 
incentive companies or their marketing companies or their there's something like that and they essentially they they kind of sell rather than a big package of measures they they kind of these developers just take individual things off the sh- like standard tools off the shelf that they can basically just implement plug and play mm. and actually since I published the book in 2012 so in the last decade there's quite a lot of companies that have come up that are starting to do this type of service so we kind of get in travel plans almost by the back door which is what I which is what I was kind of advocating for mm. so I think that in a way is hopefully the future so basically I think the the problem with travel plan is that it's just got these negative connotations. I mean, when I first started working on them, I thought, well, travel plans, that doesn't sound very interesting. And then I started working on them, I thought, God, these are as boring as they sound. They're terrible. <laughs> and then uh, it was only later when I started to see, but actually, they have got potential. If only well, we could important. get rid of the badge. They've got an important function. Yeah. If we could just get rid of the travel plan badge and actually make it something that's worth, you know, that companies get to see, oh yeah, this will do my job better. My university can now see, hopefully, that, you know, providing car parking is really expensive and actually what they should be doing is, is building on those car parks Yeah. and then maybe invest in, a, you know, another X thousand pounds in a bus service, it's a small price to pay kind of thing. Hmm. So it is about... So I think it's partly about better educational tools for decision makers, and it's, and it's, um, yeah, and new bits of kit and ways of capturing data and we're re- giving them ways of jointly making, you know, adding value to what they do. I mean, a lot of uh, jurisdictions don't have travel plans, mm. but the idea that they have problems because of a hospital with a huge amount of people going there, yeah, you know, twenty four hours a day, a local residents conflicting with that. This is a universal issue everywhere. Exactly. Uh, at least the UK has formalised it with a travel plan process. But um, the idea that solutions are needed in every other place is also true. So to some extent, the package of measures which is termed a travel plan is going to end up being a part of a solution everywhere if yes. it's not caused that. Exactly, yeah. So I think that's right. It's like, yeah, it's like essentially every time, a, 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 and quite often a hospital will go to a local authority and say, we're really struggling, can you help us? Yeah. And then if, if the local authority can turn around and say, well, actually, if you approach that company there, they've got this really good off-the-shelf measure that basically allows you to do this, you should have buy that. And, then, you know, so the, so the local authority basically act as enablers between the marketplace yeah. for providing these tools already and the, the organisation that is, you know, at particular points. So the other thing was essentially the, the time when organizations are interested in doing stuff related to travel things like when they're changing their um their personnel policy the hr policy or they're changing how they do their tax or they're changing their moving site or they're doing something anywhere so there's like the organization's already in a point of change what we need the the ideal would be for local authorities to go to those organizations at that point and basically say have you thought of this or even better is for local authorities and, and say tax advisors or HR advisors or you know the the kind of consultants who these employers would go to to help them do their business change they need to know about these travel plan tools mm. and then basically impose them that way and I think it's like this thing about the role of a trusted advisor I think is really important because a lot of employers the relationship with the local authority might might be okay or it might be terrible mm. 
And if the local authorities, especially, you know, this attitude of you will do this, I think it's a real turn So they're, they're really uh, imposing yeah. rules and regulations. They're not working yeah. with them to solve their problems, which is where, where consultants, these are logic exactly. consultants, aren't they? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So if you can get in with them, <clears> but not transport consultants alone, it's planning consultants, it's... Because it's both transport. Tell me about the public transport side of this. You mentioned packages of measures, yeah. like parking controls or whatever. Yeah. But what are the public transport elements of those sorts of plans? Do you get many? Well, yeah. I mean, the, the, the usual one is that the organisations will put on their own bus service or they'll subsidise bus services, for instance, or they might um, they might give uh, their staff uh, special you know, discount cards or free... My university gives free travel on campus, for instance, and then I think I'm supposed to get a season ticket, a discount on my season ticket on the train. And um, so that's that's fairly common. Um, uh, other public transport stuff... Yeah, I might have to come back to them. <laughs> no, no, I think those are the typical ones, but there are many other measures in those packages. Well, that's very good there, Marcus. Thank you for that. Now, uh, tell us about the future. What are you? What's coming up next for you for the strategy view? Okay. The type so, of work you do. So, um, yeah, I've got a couple of strange things. Maybe slightly less connected to public transport. So I'm, I'm working on a project where we're looking at um, we're looking at um, the future of town centres. So we'll be using machine learning and footfall data to try and predict what our town centres should look like. And that's another innovate uh, knowledge transfer partnership. Um, we're also doing. Um, I just put in a proposal, which is all about pre-booking access to the highway system. So the idea is essentially that cars, in the future, in order to access the road network, will basically have to book a slot in advance. Oh, yeah, interesting idea. Right, so the idea is, yeah, before you could even turn your engine on, you'd have had to go online and... and it's a very conceptual a idea, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's a great idea. So we're yeah. simulating that, hopefully. Well, oh, yeah. we bid for money to simulate on that. So if you're listening, uh, EPSRC, um, please fund that. <laughs> I don't think listen to the research <laughs> and, uh, and then I'm also doing a... We uh, recently had this idea. Um, there's a lady up the street who's uh, in her 70s, and she fell over, and she broke her shoulder in two places and um and essentially i thought oh my god that's really terrible it really screwed her life up she was off actually she did this when she was in the 60s actually she couldn't look after her husband for while she was ill she she had to stop doing a job because she and she was paid on a sort of um zero hours contract and she was you know all sorts of stuff it was a, it was a nightmare and i thought if she'd have fallen and it wasn't on a hard surface like paving stones because she tripped on a paving slab mm-hmm. i thought if it was like soft like a like a playground. You can get these, these surfaces, yeah. can't you, yeah. for the kids? So I thought, if we put that around, you know, what what would be the impact of that? So, so anyway, we won an award for the idea of, of, of basically looking at and um, putting so, um, new surfaces, we call it, but soft surfaces um, across the country. And, and it's about the feasibility of, it's like the economic feasibility um, it's the road safety feasibility, the sort of user needs feasibility, and the technical feasibility. Mm. And the idea is that we um, see, um, you know, if there's a case for doing this nationally, and if or if we should be focusing these soft surfaces on residential streets or residential streets around old people's homes or where lots of old people live or near hospitals or or care centres, 
so so yeah so I'm 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 quite keen to yeah we're we're um, sort of bidding for something around that and then uh, and then the other thing I'm doing is I'm actually writing a book at the moment which is um about the future of of transport and so I'm using I'm going to write eight science fiction stories is the idea mm. and then around um different future worlds so what happens if we go in a fully automated world what happens if we go in a um, in a world where government breaks down what happens if we go in a world where we have climate readjustment what happens if you know it's a bit like your new zealand framework yeah. but at a different level yeah yeah and um, and then with sort of sciencey bits as to you know actually this potentially might happen because it's happened there and it's you know to try and give it's like science fiction but with extra scientific kind of backing I suppose is the idea yeah so like hard science fiction so that's so that's uh, yeah so I have a contract with uh, Bristol University Press to write that uh, sort of first draft this time what are next they, year. Have you thought, have you done much of that work yet? Of where would public transport be in yeah, that world? Yeah, I've been thinking about it. So I've had a few uh, few thoughts on, on what the future might be. So, so yeah, one of them is basically, uh, you know, essentially you can get these special um, bits of equipment that kind of you step on. So it's like, a, I've called it a leg end, and the idea is that you... You basically pull them on, they're like ski boots, and then you, they've got springs in them. Mm-hmm. And then you can like walk twice as fast. And mm-hmm. basically the world is, is also sort of a soft world because we've had this kind of um, problems with a legal system that someone took a local authority to court and basically they uh, said, you know, I fell over and I hurt myself really badly and if you'd have had soft material I would have been fine. Mm-hmm. And then, it's a bit like this project, you think? Yeah. Do. So it's basically it's like trying to marry my research as to where it might fit in a future world. So, and then my favourite one, I think, the story is this idea that um, is that we've seen cars getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, and they have. Right. So that's um, this idea that uh, yeah, cars getting bigger. So if we live in a world and and we imagine that automation doesn't happen for for lots of reasons and. Um, and actually, government kind of collapses, and so we're all in these kind of neighbourhoods. And uh, and basically, what happens is is that you get a whole ecosystem of different types of cars. So some of them will be will get bigger and bigger and bigger, like Hummer Plus tanks, basically, yes. like uh, Kenny Everett and his tank sketch. Um, and then you have um, and so they'll be driving around, and then they'll be like the rhinoceros of the of the the urban jungle, and then you'd have. You'd have these other vehicles that are like really small, and they would like hop about, right? So people would would buy them, and then you'd have another type of vehicle that's really narrow, so it can like squeeze past, and then another type of vehicle that's maybe goes really quick and zooms around, and then you'd have different types of vehicles that do that basic, and they all kind of have an animal name because they all kind of, and essentially, um, people go to a, a kind of an artisan, um vehicle maker and they specify the type of vehicle that they want oh, yeah. and then nice. it's all sort of like 3d printed parts and all this and then they it's like yeah and then everyone and so you have this whole yeah it's like an ecosystem and it is the law of the jungle once you get out on the roads and it's so that's that's kind of another kind of potential future world well I you've taken us into lots of worlds in this discussion that's okay i mean um, so, yeah. I think uh, a lot of research is too techno-rational. 
<laughs> yet human <laughs> beings are not techno-rational at all. And also, is the future what uh, is the future what the technologists uh, say it is? They're often overhyping what they think the future is. So what we need is a bit of uh, alternative left, you know, left field thinking. And I think you've given us uh, cer- certainly a lot of that uh, in tr- researching transit. We certainly haven't had too many people mentioning the Kenny Everett tank sketch. And you've certainly given us that. So no doubt listeners will be off uh, on YouTube looking for that. So thank you so much. Now, um, uh, we'll finish the podcast there. I'm going to include lots of links to some of these conceptual things that um, that Marcus has given us. Uh, it is a really great way of envisioning, envis- uh, uh, trying to conceptualise the world and, you know, what the future might well be. And, um, you know, I think that's been a major part of uh, Marcus's contribution. So thank you very much for your time. And... Um, Uh, We look forward to seeing the new book. Thank you. Catch you later on. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Researching Transit, the public transport research podcast. Today's host was Professor Graham Curry. Our producer is Katerina Kostakos. This episode was brought to you by the Monash University Public Transport Research Group. For more episodes and information about public transport research, visit our website at ptrg.info or check out the free research database on public transport at worldtransitresearch.info. If you enjoy our show or have any feedback, contact us on Twitter at Transit Podcast or check out our show notes. See you next time.